You may be seated. Well, it doesn't always happen this way, but uh, actually, we just sang my message, which is a good thing, because I'm under no delusion that you remember the things I say all that well. That's not what sermons are meant for, by the way, much to popular, contrary to popular belief. Sermons aren't meant to be remembered forever. The Word of God is. And that I might say one thing today that you forget, but yet remember the sermon for the passage. That's the point of the sermon. A sermon is meant to be lived today, in the moment. That's why a lot of times, I don't know if you've ever experienced it, but I have. Gone to a conference, man, that was the greatest sermon I've ever heard in my life. Get the CD, put it in. It's just not there. You're like, was this, did I get the wrong tape? Is this an old sermon he just put over here? Well, what's the deal? It's just not the same. A sermon is for the moment. A sermon is to be preached, literally preached and often forgotten before you get done with the day. But if it's done right, the passage the sermon was about will not be forgotten. And that's the whole point of preaching, is that you remember God's word, not my words. But we do know this. Humans remember songs. You ever had a song in your head? Just won't go away. It happens to me all the time. So we, uh, the ancients, the ancients put the word of God to music. Which, not to put Susan on the spot or any extra pressure. We're in the process of that now. Putting the passages I'll be preaching in the future here to music. So that we can sing them as I preach. Because... That will be what causes you to remember the passage along with the message. And now you have the Word of God planted in your heart. And so, your blood has washed away my sin, Jesus. By your perfect sacrifice, we draw near. Once your enemy, now seated at your table. Jesus, thank you. Every time we do the Lord's Supper, I preach on justification by faith. Alone, And I'm in the middle of a Christmas season series on the Old Testament prophets. And so you would think, how will he pull it off? (laughs) Jeremiah chapter 23 is how we will pull it off. Jeremiah chapter 23, the passage that uh, Derek read this morning in our scripture reading. Focusing particularly on verses 5 through 6. Behold, Jeremiah says... The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch. Another prophet called it the the root of Jesse. I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king. And deal wisely, and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his day, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely. And this is the name by which he shall be called. The Lord, our righteousness. Jesus, thank you. You washed away our sins. That's half of the equation. And by the way, that's the half I hear preached all the time. Isn't it what you hear? His blood has washed away your sin. You're forgiven. That's not enough. It's the point of today's message. Being forgiven 
being pardoned, though we need it, that's not enough. You cannot approach the throne of God forgiven. You only can approach the throne of God as righteous as He is. And we're going to look at how that's possible. Because Jeremiah says, There will be one born from the line of David. And when He comes, Judah will be set free. And all of Israel will be brought back together in the land. And they'll have peace. And you're going to call His name the Lord, not righteous, what? The Lord, say it with me. The Lord, our righteousness. How am I going to come to the throne of God? Only by the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That's the second half of the song. Your blood has washed away my sins. Jesus, thank you. Once your enemy, now seated, what? At your table. Jesus, thank you. Forgiveness doesn't allow you to sit at the table of God. Forgiveness doesn't earn any man standing with God. He could have forgiven us and then still not brought us to heaven. Matter of fact, I'm going to prove in this message, I believe, that He could not have brought us to heaven. He could have forgiven us, but He could have never brought us into His presence unless you have the second half of the equation. The Lord, our Mine and your righteousness. In this sermon series, we're talking about Old Testament passages which talk about the Messiah. And Micah 5, starting in verse 2 and specifically emphasizing verses 2 through 4 last week, we talked about the fact that God has a plan to magnify His name, His glory. We said, and that's in verse 2, Bethlehem, oh Bethlehem. How little you are, too small to be among the tribes or the clans of Judah. And yet from you will come one what, who is magnificent. That's the plan. He takes the little and He makes them great by His own name. It's His plan to get His own glory. That's what God's doing. Secondly, we see in this passage from last week that God's promises are kept. God promised Abraham in Genesis 12 what? Your seed will be a blessing to all the nations, all the people groups. And God keeps His promises. How does He do that? Through Jesus Christ. There will be one born, Micah says, who will be a blessing to all of those who are scattered abroad and He will bring them back. To, and they will dwell in the land securely, it says, which is the last point that I made last week. He not only has a plan, He not only keeps His promises, but He protects His people. Security. We find security in Jesus Christ and in Him alone. And He stands for us and He shepherds us and He brings us peace. We might say Micah gives Him the title, The Lord Our Peace. He's our peace. That's last week. Today we want to look at the promise given through the prophet Jeremiah in Jeremiah 23, verse 6, particularly, The Lord Our Righteousness. Now there's some background, like I did last week. I want to give you just a little bit of background. Jeremiah is a contemporary. He's a contemporary of, of the king Josiah. And he lived. Josiah, the righteous king, found the book of the law and reestablished or reformed the government of Israel. He reestablished the law in the temple. When Josiah came to the kingdom, there was the law couldn't be found. Nobody even knew where it was. That's how far the people of Israel had gone. It was, as one preacher said, it was stuck in the broom closet, full of dust. And Josiah, this young king, finds it. And he puts it back 
in its rightful place. And he reestablishes it as the law of the land. And he says, everybody will worship Jehovah. Now, Jeremiah is living in that same period. And he begins to warn, if you don't worship Jehovah, impending doom is near. Remember the message from Micah? What? Your sin brings impending doom. Jeremiah, your sin brings impending doom. What saved the people in Micah's day and the people uh, that he prophesied to? Jesus Christ, the one who would come from Bethlehem Ephratah and offer them peace. Who saves them in Jeremiah's day? The branch of David, the Lord our righteousness. And so we're in the middle of all this, you might call it the downgrade. Uh, That's what Spurgeon would have called it, the downgrade in theology. They didn't worship Jehovah. They worshiped idols. They as, as uh, Piper so eloquently wrote in his, uh, in his poetry this morning, he said they, they run around giving out prophecies on whims. They go into the prostitutes in town. They're making deals and they're crooked. The priest, the government, everybody's crooked in Jeremiah's day. Now, Jeremiah outlives Josiah. Josiah passes away. Jeremiah lives and prophesies for about 40 years until the fall of the kingdom of Israel to Nebuchadnezzar in 586. Think about Jeremiah. What is he known as? The weeping prophet, right? Lamentations. Woe, woe is us, he says. He's the picture of a man knelt down in the street, torn clothes, ashes and dust over the head, and just lamenting all the time. Repent, he's saying, repent. And no one will listen. That's the picture we have of Jeremiah. And what happens? Impending doom becomes actual doom. Nebuchadnezzar moves in, conquers Israel and Judah, and leads them off into captivity. The king, the line of the kings is disrupted. The line of the kings is disrupted in this conquering. That's what makes Jeremiah's promise so great. That's why it's great for you. That's why it's great for me. Because God interrupted the line of the ungodly kings. David's line had become despicable. God crushed them. But how will he keep his promise? Jeremiah says there'll be one born that's a branch of David, and he will be the Lord our righteousness. We're not going to have any more earthly kings, Israel. That's what he's saying to them. We're so despicable that God's taken our kingdom. He's put us in another land. We're going to serve them and be slaves to them and be mistreated by them, but he's going to keep his promise. The Lord, our righteousness is coming. And so we have the promise of God, the plan of God. Even in this passage, we find it. This prophecy is not only for them, it's for us. And this is how. This is how the Christmas season and the righteousness by faith alone connect. Man fail. In Adam, we fail. Do you know that? You are not a sinner because you choose to sin. You are a sinner because you were born a sinner. You don't have to teach a child to sin. They're born that way. And they continue in it unless God changes them. In the fall, man lost it all. He lost his righteousness, his being, his nature, his righteous nature when he chose to sin. Adam did. But he lost more than that. He lost his legal standing with God. He broke the law. Remember I said, He can forgive you and you're still not welcome. Why? Because you're legally guilty. Even if you're forgiven, you committed the sin. And it's not just committed sin 
James tells us it's omitted things. Sins of commission and omission are present even here in the promises of Jeremiah. We need the righteousness of Christ because we have, through Adam, broken the law. How did we break it? Adam broke it when he chose to eat the fruit, and he broke it by not listening to God. He committed sin and he omitted the law of God from his mind. And so he fell. And he fell so gravely that every part of his being fell into sin. And we have his unrighteousness imputed to us. We have his sin given to us. Now you might not think that's fair. Many people don't. They object to that statement. It's not fair. Allison didn't choose to sin. You're saying God made her that way. That's exactly what I'm saying. The only other system we know of is the system the angels live under. They were all created at one time. They chose to rebel against God as individuals and there was no hope for them. Because they all willfully chose to sin, there's no redemption. They're locked away in the darkness. They have no hope of salvation. Because Adam fell and his unrighteousness was imputed to us, there's hope for us. There's hope for you. There's hope for me. What's the hope? The Lord, our righteousness. He's not the righteousness of the angels. He's the righteousness of His chosen elect humans who He gave His life for. That's who, he's, that's who He is. He's our righteousness. Man must have righteousness or God cannot let him into heaven. He's locked out. Maybe you're trying to earn your way. Maybe you're thinking, I'll be good enough. I'll be a good guy. He'll accept me. You're still unrighteous. You're born in it. I want you to get that. If you, if you don't understand this concept, I want you to understand, if you don't understand that you are born in sin, you cannot be saved. You cannot be saved. And why can I say it that strongly? This is why. Because you believe your only problem is you need a little self-help. You need Jesus to repair the mistakes you've made. You don't see your nature as the very fallen, hated enemy of God. And so you can't repent of what you don't know. You can't make repentance for what you don't know you've done. And you don't know what you and you don't know that you are. What you need to repent of if you're lost here today is not your sins. You need to repent of your sin. And your sin is that you're evil by nature. You're despised by God. So you can't be saved without this doctrine. It is the most precious of all the doctrines. We're going to look at a quote by Luther in a minute, and you'll see exactly what I mean by this. So we're fallen. We're clothed in the unrighteousness of Adam. That's where we are. And so how are we saved? By the Lord our righteousness. How can He be our righteousness? Because He imputes His fulfillment of the law to our account. If you object to being imputed or given Adam's sin, you can't receive Christ's righteousness. The same system that puts you under sin gets you out of sin. So God has set the system up. Jeremiah tells us this in his passage. The day is coming. He's going to raise up 
a shoot of David, a branch of David. And he's going to reign as a king. He's going to deal judgely. He's going to execute justice in the land. And Judah will be saved. And they will dwell securely. And his name by which he will be called is our righteousness. His death washed away sin. His life covered from us from head to foot. His death was the payment to God. His life of righteousness is a gift to mankind. By which, This gift of his life is what satisfies God's law. The law is honored through the obedience of Christ transferred to us. So many young Christians and immature Christians miss this. Remember, from the very moment Christ was born in the cradle of a manger, He was yet ascended on high. He sat at work. When He, when he came down to that manger, He began to work for our salvation immediately as a baby in His mother's arms. He began to work for our salvation. The moment... When he was in Mary's arms until the moment he was in the, the arms of death and he bowed his head and gave up his spirit, he was at work. His life for our life. Salvation became ours through his life and his death. He completed the work of obedience in his life because he said, I have finished the work you sent me to do. He said that before he died. What is the work that he was sent to do? Live a lawful, righteous life. And then he died and he said, it is finished. He was through his life spinning a web, making a royal garment. And in his death, he dipped that garment in his own blood. In his life, he was gathering, he was gathering to himself precious gold. And in his death, he hammered that gold out into fine apparel that we wear to the king's wedding feast. You have as much to thank Christ for living as you do for him dying. And you should be as reverently and devoutly grateful for His spotless life as for His terrible death. The text speaks of Christ, the Son of David, the branch out of the root of Jesse. And He gives Him the name, the Lord our righteousness. So I want to make three points. First, I want to prove to you that it's so. Second, I want to make an appeal to faith. And third, I want to challenge you to be thankful. First of all, he is righteous. He's Jehovah. Read the verse. It says the Lord. In the original, it's Jehovah. Jehovah, our righteousness. Three words in the original. Jehovah, our righteousness. So the whole lead up in verses 5 through 6 leads us to this point where it says Jehovah is our righteousness. We know that the very Christ who died who did live in a manger as an infant, was the infinite one even then. That he cried. When he cried, he cried the pain of a real child, and yet he was the one who had created all things. He who walked over the plains of Palestine was the same one who was the possessor of heaven and earth. He who did not have anywhere to lay his head and was despised and rejected by men was at the same time the God over all things. He sweat great drops of blood to bear our sin, and yet He was the one bearing up the earth on His shoulders. He was beaten in Pilate's hall, but He was adored by the spirits of the just made just. just. He who died on the cross was the one 
who was the everlasting and ever-living one. As a man he died, and as God he lived. As Mary's son he bled. As the son of the eternal God, he had the sway and the dominion over the entire world. And Christ proves that he is Jehovah. In John 1 it says, In him all things were created. Without him nothing was made that was made. He is the creator. But the text speaks about righteousness also. Not just Jehovah, but it says he's righteous. And he is. He is righteous. Look at the life of Christ. They bring all sorts and manners of charges against Jesus, don't they? There's other ways to get to heaven. There's other things that must be done. Have you ever heard anybody impugn his, his goodness? Have you ever read any article that says Jesus Christ was a sinner? Find it. It's not there. The world never attacked him for being a sinner. The world. Even the Pharisees had to trump up charges. Even the Pharisees had to bring false charges, pay people to come in and witness against him because there was nobody found that would say he was a sinner. His own life, his own character was so that he couldn't be charged with anything even remotely unrighteous. He exhausted the law. The law is you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. And we know this is the case. Jesus said it over and over again. The second part of the law is summed up in this. Love your neighbor as yourself. And can you say he didn't love his neighbor? How many of you have died for your neighbor? How many of you have counted the life of your son or your daughter or your wife worthy enough to die in their place? And if you won't die for them, what makes you think you would die for your enemy? And yet Christ fulfills the law. How does he do it? He loved his father with all his heart and all his soul and all his mind. And he loved his neighbor more than himself. Because he gave his whole life to serving not to be served. And He gave His life on the cross as a ransom for His enemies. And so we have it. He loved us with all of His heart. He is Jehovah our righteous. And this righteousness is what we grab hold of Him with. This is the anchor which drives us into this thought of Jehovah's our righteousness. The righteousness of Christ is what we look at. And you observe that there is a most precious doctrine unfolding in this statement. How a man could read these verses and not be overwhelmed is beside me. As I started out last Monday and I began to read this passage over and over again, literally, I could not wrap my mind around this. That God is my righteousness. I think that we read over the words of the Bible so fast sometimes and so from rote memory that we just think it's unimportant. When we believe in Christ, by faith we receive justification. We are in His merit. We are in His blood forgiven. But we have imputed righteousness. So we are considered as soon as we believe as though the works of Christ were our works. God looks upon us as though we are Christ now. We are clothed in His righteousness. Imputation, so far as being exceptional in this case, it's, it's the whole message of the Bible. As I said, it starts in Adam and it ends in Christ. We fail by imputation. We are saved by imputation. 
Justification by faith, Luther said. Listen to this. Justification by faith is the doctrine of standing or falling of the church. Justification by faith is the doctrine that the church stands on or falls on. And when you read the whole paragraph, what he's talking about is imputation. He's talking about the finer point of justification. Not just that you're saved by faith alone. That wasn't enough for Luther. That wasn't enough for us. No, he says the church will fall when it ceases to believe that we are Christ's righteousness. It can't exist without that doctrine. You're not saved without that truth. True justification by faith is only a surface level understanding. But when you start to dig into the depths of the rock that's underneath that soil, you find the doctrine of imputation. The imputation of Christ's righteousness is at the center. It is the bedrock which justification by faith is built on, which salvation is built on, which the church is built on. If you remove this doctrine, if you can't grasp this doctrine... You'll never live out your faith. You know why? Because you'll spend your whole life like thousands of others trying to earn your way to heaven. You'll say, oh, God forgave me, but i got to do something now. God loves me enough to send His Son to die for me, but now i got to go to work. And i got to be good so He'll love me. And He'll let me be a part of His family. If you don't accept the imputation through Christ, His righteousness for our sin... Him gaining our sin, us gaining His righteousness. If you can't accept that, you'll spend your life miserably toiling away to no avail. You'll, work, you'll try to work your way to heaven. Let's think about it. Jesus Christ gave the law, or God gave the law at Mount Sinai. Think, think about that. The, the Jews come out of Egypt, they come through the desert, and they're at Mount Sinai. And God tells, comes over, the, you remember the passage, God comes over the mountain in a cloud and lightning and thunder begins to come down. And the people, the priests all draw near to the foot of the mountain. And they say what? Uh, Moses, hike on up there, buddy. We'll stand and wait on you. So you got levels, right? People are scared in the camp. So they stay way back from the foot of the mountain. The priests go all the way to the foot of the mountain, but they won't step on it because they're afraid. What does Moses do? Moses walked up into the midst of the presence of God. Has that ever registered with you? We talk about going to God in prayer. I'm going to get on my knees and talk to Jesus. Have you ever walked up in the middle of who God is? Boldly approaching Him? Walking up? What gave Moses courage to do that? When nobody else would do it, why would Moses do it? Because he knew he wasn't going on his righteousness. He understood he was going on the righteousness of the one who would come. Want to go on to God. Want to stand before Him. And he received the law. Remember, fire shot down and and, then Aaron will tell us what it looks like later. You can talk to him about the Ten Commandments in this Bolts of lightning hitting. But literally, God wrote down ten words. Ten words on a tablet of stone. Right? And that's what Moses received. We have received the law not on stones. We've received the law through Jesus Christ. And grace married to it. Isn't that what John said? 
By Moses comes the law, and by him grace and truth. Grace and the law in the body. God came down not in a cloud and not through bolts of lightning and not striking some words on a piece of stone. God came down in a manger on Christmas. That's what you want to call it. And he was held by a human woman in her own arms. And he grew to be a man. And the whole time, he was the embodiment of the law. Perfect. Righteous. And then he walked before his father in prayer just before he died and said, It's all done. I've done it. I'm victorious. You gave the law on a piece of stone, and now the law has come. I have fulfilled it. It is finished. And there was only one left thing left to do, and that was go die, to ratify our forgiveness. He ratified our, ju- our justification through His righteousness, and then He went on the cross and ratified it through His death. It was simultaneously being poured out onto us, His blood and His righteousness at the same time. And so if you remember these things as you come before God, it changes you. It changes you. Think about the analogies of righteousness and the righteousness of Christ in the Bible. First of all, it's said that it is white linen. If I come before God in my clothes, my spiritual clothes, I'm, na- I'm dirty. I'm spotted. I'm unacceptable. But I don't come with that. I come with His fine linen. Our uh, Scripture compares our righteousness when it says He is fashioned gold. His righteousness is as fashioned gold. So he, I'm clothed in the robes of gold, not just in righteousness. If I wear it, then I'm dignified, I'm beautiful, and I'm presentable to him. Think about the prodigal's story. The prodigal was eating the husks that the, the, the swine were eating in the far country. When he came home, he received the best robe. That's what we've received, the best robe. And so where are we in the scheme of things for God? Where, where are we in this Christmas season? Who is Jesus Christ? He's our righteousness. He died for our forgiveness. He lived for our righteousness. And we will live in the land forever. And so what will we see when we go to heaven? We just have a peek into that window, but I want to say this. We will shine And our shine will be as His. It will look just like His. The angels will be dim in comparison to us. You know when the angels show up, everybody trembles, falls on their face. They're so bright. They're blind people. We're brighter than them because we have the righteousness of Christ. We are a little above the angels. We are a little above the angels in the end. The angels stand in heaven, I believe, longing to be like us. We're better than Adam was at his first state. Adam had his own righteousness. We have Christ's righteousness. God has done such a good... The gift God has given us is not not just forgiveness, but He's given us His Son. And I want to conclude by talking about our gratitude towards Him. When I look back at my own life and I think about my own sin before I was a Christian, I, I wonder how could He save me? 
I'm, there's, no, there's no excuse for what I've done. You may be here today lost. And you may say, I'm too bad to save. You may say, I've done too many things in my life. I'm unsavable. No, you're not. He's more righteous than you are evil. You're the very one he desires to save. Why? Because your mouth's full of blasphemous words. You swear at God by your very existence. And so when you come back saved, the people will say, that blasphemer is a Christian. You're drunk on the pleasures of this world, caught up in the materialism that we're all surrounded with. Maybe worse than anyone in this room, and yet when you're saved, they'll say, if God can save him, he can save me. You'll be the trophy of his grace. You'll be the shining one because he is your righteousness and not yourself. So when I think back on my life, I think about this rebellious boy who spit in the face of God. And then I think about the riches of his grace. Jeremiah said, this is the name whereby he shall be called. So I'm asking you, call on him as your righteousness. I'm pleading with you. Call on Jesus Christ, your righteousness. Suffering man, glorious God. Jesus Christ, our righteousness. If I were to pass the question around in this room, there'd be hundreds of responses. Some of them of gratitude, some of them of regret. And among those about to be added to the church, there are very many who are special instances of grace where you remember back at how bad you really were. Maybe you've been away from the Lord for years. Maybe you're intoxicated with the things of this world. Maybe you've committed every crime in the law. And yet He fulfilled every crime, I mean every law, perfectly for you. There's one last thing that I want to say and then we'll close. It would have been enough. It would have been enough had God forgiven us. At that point, we could have died and ceased to exist in some form of sleep. That would have been enough. No hell would have been given to us. But Christian, He not only forgave you and pulled you out of the depths of hell as a sinner, He gave you heaven by His own life. So when you read the Gospels this Christmas season, and you read about that little baby in the manger, Think of Him not as a baby only, but as your righteousness. When He drew His first breath on this earth, He began to work for your salvation. And He finished it. And then He died. And you can be saved through Him. How? It's simple. It's not a complicated process. There are lost people in this room, without a doubt. There are lost people here. Some of you have been in this church since its founding and you're lost. You play the game well. Some of you have come in for the first time, the second, the third time. I'm telling you, you play the game well, but you're not a Christian. How can I be saved? You have to call on Him. Not to get you out of hell, 
but to give you His righteousness. You say, I can't do it, I'm too bad. It's the perfect case for His grace. You're the one He wants more than any of them. Because it's with you, He can make a great trophy. From the ashes and the rubbish that is your life, He can make a trophy for His own glory. If you're lost and you say, I don't, have, I don't have the courage, I can't do it. You're just like the people of Israel sitting back in the camp saying, Moses, go speak to God and then tell us what He says. I don't want to talk to Him. I know I'm a bad person. You need to come by the blood of Christ. Dipped in His blood, you can say, Save me and give me the righteousness that you require. You can. And Christian, if you're here today and you're saved, there are saved people in this room, a lot of them. Stop working. What are you doing? What are you doing? You are despising the gift of God by your life. I'm asking you, I'm begging you, stop working for God. Stop. You can't earn His love. He loves you because you're in Christ. He loves you. You say, I'm not worthy to be adopted. You're already adopted. You're already in the family. You say, but I mess up. I fail. I find myself doing all the things I shouldn't do. That's the old man. Don't let him tell you you're not a son of God. When they come, when, when those words come to your mind, wherever they come from, I don't want to get into spiritualism. I don't know where they Wherever they come from, you come against them with these words. In that day, he will raise up a branch from David. And he will gather the people back to the land. And they'll dwell securely. And I want you to know, thoughts in my mind, Attack from Satan. I want you to know. Demon that plagues me. I want you to know. I'm staring you in the eyes by the power of God. He is my righteousness. I am as guilty as you say I am by myself. But with Him, I am free. I'm free. Don't bring up my past and convict me. This Christmas season, the greatest gift you will receive is His righteousness. And if you have it, live by it. Live by it. We are sons at the table. Think about that. We're not defeated. We're set free. And the one the son is set free, it's Rashad's favorite verse, the one the son is set free is free indeed. You're free. You're free. And if you're lost, you can be free. How? Cry out today. Sitting right where you are, just cry out. Be my righteousness. I can't do it. And He'll save you. Let's pray. Father, oh, I feel so unworthy in my own self. I feel that I've butchered your truth. And words fail to explain what you say to us through Jeremiah. 
Lord, we just like Israel, just like Israel in Jeremiah's day, wicked, chasing after the pleasures of this world, worshiping idols, loving ourselves, hating our fellow man, plotting our revenge, keeping our hatred to others, hating you for what you've done in our life. We're just like Israel. I am. And so, branch of David, you are the Lord and you are my righteousness. And in you I have everything. There's nothing I can do to please you. There's no work I can do in my own place, in my own stead, that will earn my seat at the table and make me a son. I am a son. I am at the table. Help me remember that as I go through this life. Help me live in the freedom of your grace. And Lord, for the lost man here that is still captive to his sin, I ask, God, I ask you that you would open the eye, that you would melt the heart, that you would, that you would call them from their sin, lift them from the depths of hell, and seat them at the table through Jesus Christ, your Son. Save them today. Cause them to call out to you. Lord, they, they may not have even come in this place even thinking about salvation, but you can save them. Please save them. Put the words in their heart and in their mind and save them. Lord, for those of us that are saved, help us live in your grace. For those who aren't saved, may they be in your grace before this day is done because we know the kingdom is here and it is at hand and it could end. And all those outside of Christ face judgment because of their sin. We have no righteousness. Our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus Christ, our righteousness. We're not trusting in anything but wholly leaning on Your name. You're the solid rock. And on You we stand. And everything else around us is sinking sand. Everything is sinking sand. We love You, Lord Jesus. And it's in Your name we pray. And it's in Your name we take communion. Amen.